0: Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist
1: and I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg,
0: and we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. All right, so we are here on April 8th, 2020 for our COVID-19 update. Dr. Dean, it's been another big week. What would you say have been the biggest things that have happened this week with regards to COVID-19?
1: Well, I think the most dramatic news has been coming out of the New York metropolitan area, where the hospitals are really impacted. The whole healthcare system is really impacted by the number of cases that have been occurring there.
0: But we in California have not seen these numbers, um, but are definitely trying to reach out and help colleagues there. I know California sent medical supplies and ventilators to New York City. So is the biggest difference between us and New York really just like how on top of people are that live there? Or what, is, what are the predictions? Why did it hit so hard there?
1: Well, it's hard to say exactly, but I mean, obviously New York is a very concentrated area and a very dense population so that there's much more chance of social interactions and transmission of disease. And then I think the other thing is the um, actions that have been taken by public health in California. Relatively early there were recommendations for social distancing and what we've seen is really a dramatic flattening of the projected curve in California, whereas in New York the projections are that the peak resource use is today in terms of hospitalization and ventilators. And one day um, until projected peak and daily deaths, and then we should see um, a decrease um, in New York.
0: Wow. So th- is this going to be sort of the first area where this modeling that we've been using to predict the peak here and the peak in New York will kind of be tested
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. In California, there's there's several different models that are out there. And the one that um, I'm used to going to, and we'll post a link on this on our website, is the University of Washington model that a lot of people have been looking at. And in in California, it says it's five days until peak resource use, um, April 13th, and seven days until projected peak in daily deaths. But the California public health officials say that they have even better numbers that haven't been released yet, and they predict that the peak is going to be next month in, in early May. So the the models are all over the place.
0: Wow. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, definitely in New York. And I know we're all bracing for what happens here. Mm-hmm. Um, one big change that I think we have to walk back what we have said previously on other podcasts is masking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because that recommendation has changed, it seems like, over the last week or so. Correct me if I'm wrong. I see you rolling your eyes a little bit.
1: Well, I guess I'm still unsure about it because I've seen the um, seen the recommendations in the news and I've seen these sort of mild recommendations about masking in public, but I have not seen really good data about these homemade masks and, and how well they work, the efficiency of the filtering. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm still unsure about that.
0: You're skeptical. So yeah, there's the homemade mask boom has hit within the last week. I got Uh one dropped off by my Uh mother-in-law. It's trendy. You know, I like the fabric. And I saw a lot of people wearing them when I did a grocery run last weekend. Uh So is this more like we talked about before with the surgical masks? It's really to protect you from transmitting asymptomatic transmission to someone else. Is that correct? (laughs)
1: Most of the effect is to decrease transmission from the person wearing the mask to others. Um, And if you think of these masks, they really have inconsistent fit. They have gaps on the sides as well as the top and bottom. And people who use the mask may reach under them to scratch themselves or whatever. And that means that the mask is really not a barrier to contamination by contact. And when they may become contaminated on the inside or the outside... And then, when people take them off, if they don't use hand hygiene, they can contaminate their hands further. So, I, you know, I, I worry that they might provide a false sense of security, and it could result in people compromising in really proven practices of social distancing that we know work.
0: Hmm. So, it sounds like you're standing by the mask recommendation, of mostly for healthcare providers, not out in the in the daily world.
1: I think the biggest impact that we can all have in terms of preventing this outbreak from spreading further or from peaking so much and utilizing so many healthcare resources is by the social distancing. And so I think that's the main thing. I think the mask thing just doesn't contribute as much.
0: Gotcha. So we did get some great listener questions this week that I want to make sure that we touch on. Um, Mm -hmm. Some have to do with the continued social distancing. Um, One of Mm -hmm. them was that we are going to see some beautiful weather in our area in Sacramento. And people are asking if they're allowed to walk their neighborhood with a companion as long as they're following the six-foot rule. I know my dad asked if we could go on like distance jog. What are your thoughts about this?
1: Well, you know, there's different recommendations in different countries and different localities. So I would check with your local public health to see what those recommendations are. But um, around us, at least, you can still walk your dog and walk with other people, maintain that six-foot barrier. It can be a challenge sometimes. So, for example, where I like to go running on the bike trail, if you're going to pass somebody, you need to be real careful to really go wide around them. Um, And so you do need to just be very aware.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. We sort of touched on this already. Someone had asked about masks and should we be wearing them when we're on walks or in the supermarket. And it sounds like it's sort of a personal decision at this point that there doesn't seem to be great medical data to back up the reduction in transmission.
1: Right. And, and again, I would go with whatever your local public health recommends, because if everybody else is wearing a mask and you're walking around around without one, you know, you're, you're not going to look like a good community member, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So image is always important, too. <laughs> the next question we got was, at what point do we think it will be reasonable to relax social distancing measures? I think we know that it's not until after the peak, but is there like a two weeks after the peak, one week after the peak?
1: I really have no idea because you can look at it a couple different ways. One is that you need to um, maintain the social distancing measures, for example, how how they did in China in Wuhan. They really had a huge impact, but they did that for a long time until they basically had zero cases being transmitted. On the other hand, we're all aware of the economic and other hardships that we're all experiencing because of this. And so another possibility is to relax the restrictions, and then when infections ramp back up, then you could put them back into place. So you could imagine a series of on-again, off-again social distancing measures.
0: One of our medical colleagues asked, although I think that this could also be extrapolated to some of the other essential workers, like grocery workers or someone that's still, you know, working. Um, Mm -hmm. If there's anything special that we need to do to our scrubs or our clothing after we have worn them out of the house, like wash them on like in a certain fancy detergent or bleach Uh or something like that? Or can we just use the regular wash function?
1: The regular wash function is fine. Remember that the virus doesn't um, live very long in the environment and it lives even shorter periods of time on porous surfaces such as fabrics. And it would be really unlucky to get infected from your clothes. For example, somebody would have to cough on your clothes And at that exact spot, the virus would have to um, remain infective and then you'd have to touch that spot and then you'd have to touch your face without washing your hands. And that would be the way you'd get infected. So that whole series of events is highly improbable. So I don't recommend any kind of special things related to laundry um, that you don't have to change and bag your clothes as soon as you come home.
0: Okay. Well, one easier thing to do. So I'm sure that'll be appreciated. And then one other question, and we've heard other things similar to this or comment, is that this is a mom who said that her child is just demonstrating signs of anxiety about why we are social distancing and why they can't see their friends. And I think this is a really, really hard and common thing that people are experiencing right now. Um, we all have anxiety. And I think that our kids can read that on us. And then when you disrupt a routine um, that a kid is used to, it can get really, really hard. Um, And so I think there's, there's different strategies that we can use to mitigate or lessen the anxiety throughout this process while kind of still acknowledging that things are are strange right now. And so that's why I'm very excited that today we have a guest on the show, Dr. Ellen McCleary. She's a pediatrician that works with us and a mom to an adorable and very active two-year-old, Ada. And she is going to join us today to help us navigate the world of parenting in the age of COVID-19 and over the next few weeks, share some resources on how to stay sane while parenting from home. Thank you, Ellen.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dr. Ellen. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Hi, Dr. Dean. Hi, Dr. Lena. Thank you so for having I me. So, I want to start
0: by talking about just this like routine. I think this is one thing that kind of got totally scrambled with this COVID 19. And so, what are some strategies that you guys have used that you've seen other parents use to create routine during this chaotic time?
2: Yeah. And I think, kind of like you mentioned, Lena that um, this is a very stressful time for everyone, including kids, even very young children. Um, And I think, you know, creating a consistent routine is helpful for kids even when we're not in a pandemic situation, but especially now, it can be really, really helpful for kids to kind of maintain some consistency, um, do some activities that are familiar to them, and also for you as a parent or someone taking care of children, to um, maintain your own boundaries and <laughs> sanity, and consistency in your own life um, as well.
0: That's a great, that's great advice. So consistent routine. You would you would say like wake up at the same time every day.
2: Absolutely. Like, wake up at the same time every day, kind of have your morning routine. And, you know, it's going to look different for kids of different ages. Um, One thing that I've seen a lot of families do, and that has worked well with us as well, is to kind of find things that our routines kids were doing before all of this social distancing started. So if kids were um, doing daycare or preschool, you know, reach out to those teachers if you haven't already and kind of see how you can integrate some of what they were doing into your own routine at home. With older children too, you know, school-aged children, there will probably be more structured things that they have been sent home with um, for school. So that's obviously a very easy way to put some structure into their day and your day. and I think especially, I mean, my own personal experiences with a young child right now. And I think, you know, even just picking out a few things every day that you want to accomplish and kind of plugging that into your routine of waking up at the same time, having your routine meals, having your routine nap time and reading times, and then having a few activities that you want to do every day And you can plug those in at different times, you know, where it's convenient for you, but that still gives you some sort of structure every day.
0: Definitely. I've seen really great charts, especially for older children, you know, that are starting to read that they've made like eight to nine is breakfast, nine to 10 is, you know, math on the computer, 10 to 11 is this. And so that way the kid knows what to expect. And it's not just like a free for all which sometimes it can be.
1: Yeah, it seems like we've talked about routine on so many different podcast episodes related to so many different issues. And I can just imagine that really for the youngest kids, probably routine is the most important.
2: Yeah, I think for kids and parents, both. (laughs) Parents, right. So helpful.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I always wonder the parents that are both working from home, which I know you are still going to work sometimes and your husband is staying home or vice versa, but it must be really hard to create that like, okay, I will supervise from nine to 11 and then you take 11 to one and then we're flopping. Any strategies that you ran into about how to deal with that or also just a routine?
2: (laughs) I I think it's very, very hard. I mean, right now, while I'm speaking with both of you, I'm kind of hidden away in our um, extra guest bedroom and i had to you know have a long discussion that you know mama needs to go do some work and talk with some other doctors and this is time for you to you know have your breakfast and then watch a sesame street and be with dada and (laughs) and you know it i think even with really young kids it's super helpful to just have an expectation and follow through with that expectation and explain to them you know what needs to happen and oftentimes they will understand that and especially if it is part of your routine that one parent you know does a couple hours of work in the morning and the other parent um, tries to do some work in the afternoon if that's what you're doing on a day-to-day basis consistently kids are going to roll with that and um, be able to understand that and internalize that as part of their routine as well.
1: Well, right, it's a lot of negotiation. Yes.
0: Uh, yes, it's not easy. We understand that for sure. Another um, thing that I wanted to talk about was hopefully those older kids that were in el- even elementary, middle school, high school. Now that schools are not reopening, it sounds like for the rest of the year, that the districts are working on getting some sort of online learning or materials sent to them. Are there any supplemental websites or um,
2: resources that you found that can help these older kids? There's so many supplemental resources um, for kids with online learning and distance learning. And like you mentioned, most school-age kids are going to have some materials from their school district sent to them and hopefully have some way of communicating with their teacher and sending in school work. One resource that I found particularly helpful was the Wide Open School. And this is put together by Common Sense Media, um, which is a nonprofit organization that kind of screens different resources, like media resources for kids and families.
0: Really, really useful website for all different things.
2: Yes. And this Wide Open School is... um, pretty cool you can kind of go into it and say um that you're a family with um and they kind of divide it up by pre-k to five um fifth grade and then grade six through 12 and so you can kind of select that and then um one of the neat things is that it you can plug in a daily schedule um for you your family and your children and then there's all different kinds of um, like field trip activities um learning at home, science activities, like arts, music activities, social studies, math. There's just so many resources on here and it's very easily laid out for families um, to kind of plug it into their own schedules. Um, Another thing I really like about this website is that it has a lot of resources that you can do offline. So for um, some families maybe who don't have internet access and who are accessing this on their smartphone, um, they can use some of these resources offline. And then there's also resources for English language learners. Um and so there's some bilingual resources on there as well.
1: Dr. Ellen, could you talk about also the issue of parents now supervising their children doing their schoolwork at home <laughs> and like the tension that might create because it's a new it's a new role for for them.
2: I am not an educator. Uh, the parents who are at home with their kids now are not professional educators, but they've kind of been thrust into this role um and it's it's really difficult to navigate. You're you have to supervise your children doing all of this schoolwork especially your school-age children and then also, you have to kind of be available to help them if, if they need help. And I would say that I've heard of a lot of teachers who are doing a lot of really creative ways of making themselves available to their students and to their students' families with online help. So that's a great resource. I would first reach out to your kids' teachers if this is something that you're struggling with. And then as far as supervising your child's schoolwork, You know, I think that's kind of where a schedule can come into hand, like a routine can come into play again.
0: Yeah. So you're not like looking over their shoulder, but like at the end of math hour, you just like check in and say, how's it going? Do you need any help? It doesn't need to be like you're a watchdog all the time because that might actually lead to worsening anxiety for
2: some of these kids. Absolutely. And then you're not able to get any of your own work done or any anything you need to get done around the house as well so I think yeah having some dedicated times where you can both sit down and review schoolwork, work um, go over some issues that your child um, encountered um, and then just having those set times maybe at the end of the day or you know after a few hours of schoolwork, I think is really helpful
1: I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised during these extraordinary times that what we're talking about is celebrating routine. <laughs> that that routine should be something that we should all be striving for.
0: Totally, it should, and I think that's how we're all going to get through this. And I think one other useful thing, if you're just like at your wit's end or you don't know how to help your teenager with their math homework, would be to reach out. Like if your t- if the teacher's not available. For like an office hours, you can reach out to grandparents or family friends, um, use your community. It takes a village to raise a child, even a virtual village. We all want to be here during this hard time. So, Dr. Ellen, thank you so much. It's nice to get input from a parent because uh, Dr. Dean and I are, you know, over here gardening and watching new shows. (laughs) And I'm just kidding.
1: He's a lot busier.
0: But, um, you know social distancing is a lot different when you have a family and we want to gain the perspective of that for sure for all of our listeners. So over the next few weeks, Dr. Ellen will be sharing some arts and crafts, some ways to get into different educational experiences while at home and really making the most of this time with you and your little one at the end of our episodes.
1: Mm -hmm. And she's put together a really awesome um, list of resources. And so those will be on our website.
0: Yep, we will post those. And in the meantime, we hope that all of you are staying safe. Um, Please continue to send us your questions and we will do our best to answer them on the next podcast. It is April 8th, 2020.
1: That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered.